Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. It's your podcast where you go through a portal and you see people with swords waiting for a train. Ah, that explains the only non-ruined location in the Mornland, Fort Bright. Yes. Also, there was a there there no and nobody knows who the Lord of Blades was, although. There are speculations. The King of Breland, or a previous King of Breland, had a Warforged advisor, and the name escapes me. But he disappeared during the war. And there are some rumors saying that this Warforged advisor decided to go off on his own, has has since become the Lord of Blades. Um, as I said, it's rumor. But that is one of the major things in Sire Seer, the Mornland, is that the Lord Blades has set up base here. Because it's away from most humans, and he has just become... He kind of has it in for humans, but he's just proving it's like, no, we're the superior beings. We don't age, you can just rebuild us, and our minds are still good. And, yeah... Yeah. Well, also, a lot of Warforgers still treated like crap. Yeah. Because what it was is that when this devastation went off, that's what set up these all these nations, including race-based nations, because there were just the five nations. Ondar, Breland, Seer, Karnath, and Thrain. Well, during the war, you know, dwarves got theirs, elves got theirs, gnomes got Zilargo. Even the monster races got Droam. Shifters and half um Shifters got the Elding Reaches, Shadow Marshes went to the half orcs. And so there's now like thirteen nations. But this Treaty of Thronehold, which as soon as the desolation went off, everybody said, Whoa, stop, wait a minute, hold it. That okay, this is too far. Who did this? And everybody's going, What? We didn't do anything. Why is Seer now a smoky crater? That's when the three the that the Treaty of Thronehold was set up. It stopped the war, so it was an armistice, but also it said, as John mentioned earlier, one, war-forged are sentient beings. They are their own race. Two, no new war-forged are to be created. Apparently, Merrick's to Kenneth and the other one didn't necessarily you know, read that part of the treaty. But this last war, because you had the nations against each other, you had... Karnath, I believe it, they're using undead warriors, and Thrain had a bunch of warforged they're still using this day, 
and just, it was all five nations just going at it until the desolation hit. And it was all because I want daddy's throne. It was a right to who would rule the former nation, the island, or the continent nation of Galifar. And, yeah. I mean, Bruce Pern up a really good listener thing of just what each nation had. Mm-hmm. And so it could have been, you know, I mean, each nation had all of their own resources that they were, and they traded because they were all run by descendants of King Jorah. I mean, every nation trades with its surrounding neighbors if it can. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just good for, you know, it's good to find for information if nothing else. But you see the quality of the the goods that are coming in from another nation. If the iron is bad, then you know that that either a they're they're depleted their iron. Uh, their iron ore mines, or it means that for some reason their ore is their craftsmen are no longer any good at, at working the the ore that they have. So yeah. all that's really good tactical information for planning things, so you can you know get the best out of your neighbors. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking at the map of Mornland, and I see two two geographical um, locations. And I call them geographical because because they're so large. The glowing chasm, which are, probably means at night you could you could read by it. But the one that's bigger, the glass plateau. If I'm reading the scale right on this map, there's a scale, but looks from the looks of it, it's probably 200 miles long. And if I get it right, it's basically fuse. It's the ground's been fused to glass. Usually, you know, and we all know, I mean, <laughs> you really know, what would be the type of force that could fuse ground into glass? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it has to be about 1,500 degrees, mm-hmm. and uh, you can get that from coherent light. Dragon fire will do it. Yeah. And, of course, volcanic action will do it. So, uh, but uh, it's uh, the, the most the most likely thing, of course, would just be some, if if for example, there was a great um, natural gas reservoir underneath that area that uh, broke maybe. that uh, broke free yeah. and just erupted, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and you could you, you, it would feed on itself and you'd get this huge molten area that would then cool down into a big glass plateau without having the normal blackish, you know. Um, you know, obsidian, which is, you know, glass, but it's been also infused with certain materials to give it that color. This, by the way it looks, it looks almost like, unless the, the actual sand itself was made out of something like quartz, it wouldn't be this clear, white-looking yeah. thing that it is. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really, it also depends on the temperature. Uh, if you get hot enough, say, like 10,000 degrees, uh, it'll turn green from base because you're melting other things because uh, you, you're making a whole bunch of other things, which gives you trinitite. You know, um, but you know, it, yeah, it's clear. So either you're really lucky and you have the right combinations of sand and a few other a few other minerals in the sand, you would then get window pane, you know, clear glass. So it also may have been one heck of a spell. That, and see, that's what I'm thinking. And, and <laughs> this whole thing with the Mornland, I'll yeah. read here from the wiki. No one knows if the catastrophe was caused by a weapon from an enemy nation or a doomsday device of Sire's own design. Cataclysm may have been deliberate. It may have been an accident. In the result, the in the end, the result was the same. Beautiful Sire jewel of Galifar's vast holdings, exploded in a blast of arcane power, the likes of which it hadn't been seen since the ruin of Zendrick 40,000 years before. I, I think, and this is oh. just me as a fan of the setting, House Caneth messed around with something they shouldn't have. They were trying yeah. to build some type of weapon, and Caneth yeah. sold everybody. They were If they were mm-hmm. going to make it, they would have just sold it to the highest bidder. And it, Golly again, wrong, wrong decimal point. 
placement. Yeah, they, they they dug too deep, eh? Yeah. yeah. Now reading now reading read up. There is obsidian, but not everywhere. Just in the heart of it is obsidian, and it's not. It's smooth and flat, though there are jagged spikes and spires jut up from the ground at, apparent, at apparently random places. Uh, the central portion of this highland plain, so it's a highland plain, uh, is obsidian. So the very central of it is actually obsidian, which at this point means, yeah, it was, it got hot. It got really hot, uh, probably around 3,000 degrees uh, at the center, and then cooled off and was not so hot, and about like Bruce said, about 1,500 at the edges, uh, and it flattened it out. <laughs> yeah, wow. I, um... And as far as tech goes, yeah, Sire yeah. and House Canth, in which it was based, because once Sire became the Mornland, mm-hmm. House Canth split into three separate houses. One of them is run by Merrick's to Canth in Sharn. Yeah. But the whole thing with Sire and going back to the Lightning Rails, mm-hmm. they crossed throughout Corvair. There were a lot of Lightning Rails, which many stations were in Sire. Therefore, with the with the Mornland now being there, lightning rails don't cross Corvair anymore. You have to like okay, your stop is uh, here. You gotta Car- go either Carnath Carnath Yeah. Sorry. Or try to traverse through and take your chances. Well yeah, you go you go to Carnath and you and you hop across the uh take the ferry across the that river and then on the other side of uh Ondar? Ondar. Under, under and then catch the train there. But yeah, there's three lines going into Moorland. They just sort of stop. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's what it was, is the day mm-hmm. of morning in 994YK, which is their, like, Dale Reckoning for Forgotten Realms. And I believe the campaign starts in 997 or 998 in the Eberron 3.9 mm-hmm. campaign setting. So it's a few years after the Treaty of Thronehold. Things have calmed down a oh. bit. There's still a lot of intrigue throughout Corvair. But yeah, oh. that's the that was the thing, is that many of those lightning rail lines went through Sire, and so it's fractured the continent as far as transportation and commerce goes. Yeah. Because nobody wants to go into Sire because they're seeing what the refugees are looking like coming out. On that, I'm bringing up on the glowing chasm. Uh, the the supernatural glow emanates from deep within the glowing chasm, so far down that a source cannot be identified from above. And to date, no one who descended into the chasm has come out alive again. The mutated monsters that roam the moorland seem drawn to this location, and some believe the purple glow had a role in creating them. While the glow might not be related to the origin of the mutated monsters, it definitely has an effect on these creatures. Those that spend any significant time near the glowing chasm mutate further, becoming even more twisted and misshapen than they were prior to bathing in the cold purple light. Yeah, here, here's some things about, <laughs> about what they call the house rules when you get into the Mornlands. No natural healing works in the Mornland. I heard it was half power, but okay. Food does not perish, nor do bodies decay as normal. Spells which do magical healing operate at half efficiency. There we go. As well as healing potions and other other healing effects. Druid's spell Goodberry operates normally and is the reason for the popularity of Goodberry wine. Dimensional pockets like Rope Trick work. A consecrate spell will allow natural processes to occur and healing to work properly within the confines of the spell's area and for that duration. And... 
Dark rituals performed in the Mornland, i.e. a sacrifice, have a greater outcome in the form of a profane bonus to the religion check made. Oh, I don't like the sound of that at all, folks. Yeah, it sounds like this is this is cursed land. It's sort of like remember we were talking about being able to drain mana from a place? They drain all the good out of this land. Why why am I thinking of the mummy returns? <laughs> this is curse. That is curse. <laughs> yeah. But no, but no, no. See, that last part though throws something into it. Yeah. What all... was House Caneth screwing around with that this happened? Well, it seems an awful lot like they basically created a uh, uh, well, you know, if, if you go back to more traditional D&D, the um, uh, the, the, the the space that people go into whenever they're like plane traveling, the astral place. It's almost like, in, and there's an area right next to the prime material that's kind of a misty area. It's almost an interface. And I think that's what they've done here is that they've basically broken through partially into another universe and it has caused very bad things to happen as so a result. So bag of holding, bag of holding, portable hole type stuff. Yeah, but I mean, not like it's sucking everything in. It's more like it's it's being darkly influenced by a, a very uh, a very negative universe that they've essentially juxtapositioned themselves with, and so as a result, everything is it's kind of like Stephen King's The Mist, you know, where it's like all of a sudden there's all these things in it and things don't do like they're supposed to do anymore, and no one knows why. Because it's you know one of those things where you you broke through, you peeled back you know the, a layer of reality and made made it too thin here, you know, so that now things can pass in and out that should never be here, and as a result, you have a, just a terrible, terrible place. I yeah. I just as I said, with the the more I read about this, just sire and the Mornland and the Lord of Blades and just how things are, it always wondered to me just. It, it was always occurring to me, what did Kenneth... And it wasn't natural. I know Kenneth had to have been doing something in order to... Well, not necessarily. They, they may have been working in, in, in cahoots with someone else. You know, because they just make things. But, you know, this sounds like someone, one of your houses was working with them to make some uber weapon. Okay, all right. I'll throw this out here. This is basically yeah. what we know so far. House Kenneth, they're the tinkerers. They're the ones doing this. Karnath are the ones that use undead forces as soldiers. Okay. And it's now, and it's now the Mornland where you have dark rituals work better. Natural mm-hmm. healing doesn't work. You have to cast a consecrate spell to let natural healing work. All right. I'm just putting two and two together. That's my four. Yeah. So the Lord of Blades, he's not building this large tower with an unseeing eye on top of it? He's getting damn close, though. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, here I'm reading this. Um, the Lord of Blades maintains a lean government that resembles a cross between a theocracy and a military dictatorship. This Warforged visionary sees himself as both as a religious and military leader. In his camp, the word of the Lord of Blades is law and canon. The Warforged that locked it locked to his side, accept his rule, or they're destroyed. He allows no one to leave the movement. You're there. It, it's like Bucky said to Steve. You're with him till the end of the line. Yeah. Have some, have lemonade. some lemonade. Yeah. Well, Karnoff... Yeah, Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in the wiki, it basically said that Karnoff essentially is uh, Transylvania. It's just built exactly oh, yeah. like Dracula's kingdom. 
Oh so, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, King and- Gaius the Third. No, no, that's King Gaius the First. He's undead. This has been out for this has been out for fifteen years, folks. Spoiler alert's long gone. Um, yeah, he he ascended or descended into I think lichdom or vampirism. I forget which one. As I said, it's been but he's undead. Yeah, oh, it's King Gaius the Third. No, 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 no. It is the first. He's been around for quite some time, and so that that's why I just put two and two together with Carnath and Sire and undead forces. Again, folks, your mileage may vary if you use this. You might see something different. This is just what I came up with. Not only my own perusings over the past 15 years, but with the kind help of the two esteemed gentlemen I work with here that, you know, I was like, ooh, wait a minute. Okay, um, we usually get along now to system and star platforms. Eberron has a definite lack of knowledge of its solar system. However, it does... Well, it had 13 moons... The moons are all linked to various planes. When the Dol Cor were banished due to the Giant War, that moon disappeared. It is not visible from Eberron. However, there are still 12 moons in varying distances and orbits around Eberron. And yes, there were other things that wizards put out when they were still backing 3.5. If you're a lycanthrope, you were transforming about 19 days of the month. You were very busy as a lycanthrope on Eberron. That was one of the many reasons why the Church of the Silver Flame went on a witch hunt for them. So what I did with the system platform, since I had no knowledge of planet, and trust me, I looked, even on homebrew stuff, just, you know, Dr. Evil again, throw me a frickin' bone here. I just put all the various system platform stuff on the moons. So, and and as I said, there was stuff that wizards put out and it detailed each of the 12 moons and how far they were and the various geographical. And, and it was great because I had a former roommate who was a chemistry major. And so I was reading these things and she said, well, if it had this type of error, it would have this type of chemistry. So I actually have written in the notes of this thing printed out from the old wizard site. Yeah, this one has a bromide atmosphere, and this one has it. And just it was helpful to have somebody studying chemistry do that. Hey, so, hey Trav, I yeah. found the old Wizards of the Coast cosmology of Eberron Orrery. Nice. He posted a link to it. It is a flash. <sighs> uh, what do you mean by a flash? What? It's a, it's a, it's basically, it's a, I think it looks like it's a flash, it's a little flash app. Because it shows the moons are orbiting the, the, the Eberron. Oh, the Aurora, oh yeah, they spelled Orary wrong, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have to click to, yeah. Yeah. So he has like Reese of the Plane of Ice. If I click on that, nothing happens. So you just hover over and tells you what each world is, which each of the moons are. It gives you the orbital yeah, periods. Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. It's trying to work here. Yeah. But the, yeah um, the gerbils are running as fast as they can, I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, this picture that John and I are seeing, it's in the Eberron campaign setting book. Mm-hmm. You know, in my Keith Baker autographed version here. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. Yeah, I, as I said, I got to meet the man at a penguin con. But the picture of the cosmology of Eberron 
is in... Matter of fact, it's on the page that talks about outsiders possessing people of Eberron. I remember the picture. But this is moving and it's showing how each of the 12 planes move and connect with the material plane mm-hmm. which Eberron is on. Yeah. So, yeah, I will save that. Thank you, sir. That was yeah. quite useful. Okay. Um, the system platform, number one, I put... In one of the moons is Zarantir. It's a water world scattered archipelagos. You're going to be coming up on some small island. And they didn't really give a climate on it. It could be temperate. It could be tropical. That's up to you. As I said, that it was very minimal information on these moons. The atmosphere and all that, I had to have my former roommate, Sarah, who, as I said, was a chemistry major at nearby Madonna University. I said, okay, the air's like this. Oh, it would be this. So... The second one, Thorendor, rainforest world with lots of medicinal... So, yeah, like the Amazon. Uh, They didn't say much about life there, but imagine it being an uninhabited part of the Amazon rainforest. Uh, Third one, Eyre, E-Y-R-E, desert mountain world, huge anvil-like mesa. And you can see this with, you know, like a telescope from... The surface of Eberron. Number four, Barakas, cloud-covered, abandoned, giant colony, a lot of non-functioning techno magic. Uh, number five, Ron, R-H-A-A-N, covered in force fields, another abandoned giant colony. Remember, the giants used draconic magic in Secrets of Zendrick. There are several adventure sites in that book. Which, yeah, it's 40,000-year-old technomagic, but to, and I did, it might as well be futuristic, like PL7, PL8 stuff. That is how advanced the giants were before they fought that war 40,000 years ago and blew Zendrick, blew the giant population back into barbarism. They explored the moons. They went to other dimensions. They tapped into the one dimension and found those creatures and duked it out and used even draconic magic beyond their control. It was like a Hail Mary last-ditch effort to get these creatures out of there. Um, Portal 6, Cypheros. Highly tectonic world, ash and lava, giant canyon. Imagine Mustafar from Star Wars Episode 3. Pretty much that would be the best way to describe it. Uh, Number 7, Aerith. High amount of manifest zones and magic berries. If you have, you know, your bureau agent, trained mage or whatever, he gets on this world and his spells might get, okay, my spell's working. Walk another couple miles. Holy crap, I just did a fireball that, you know, burned the Muscovy. Sorry. Even though I aimed it in the opposite direction. You know, just the manifest zones run fast and wild here. And so magic can really get out of control on this particular move. And then number eight, Volt, a pockmarked world, and it's an old draconic outpost. Remember, the dragons, they're the ones that ran magic. Yeah, the giants used draconic magic, so the dragons were also out exploring, at least out in the lunar orbits. So, the reason why I didn't have a lot on the system is because Eberron 
was made well after Spelljammer ended. Now, in Spelljammer with Kryn, Orth, and Toral, if you look through the old spell, uh, was it Kryn space, Gray space, and uh, wild, um, Realm space, there was detailed information about the solar systems. They'd given up Spelljammer back 15 years before they that Eberron was made into a setting. So, not a lot of planetary information. But, and I put this map in the group. Um, John, that arcane inner flow map that I put in the group, please make sure that that map goes into the notes for this podcast. Sure. It sure. Okay, thank you. It will help out in kind of wrapping up this whole series here because I did some research and I had, again, these two esteemed gentlemen check my map. There will be a map in the, what we would call the liner notes for this episode, and it harkens back to the old Spelljammer days. The Crystal Spheres and the Phlogiston and all this. Now, apparently... Somebody, and I don't have, I cannot give credit where credit is due, made an arcane interflow map. Now, they based it on all the old Spelljammer information, and there's some, you know, I can smell the paper and smell some home cooking on it. They threw some other stuff in. Now, a lot of these, and, and remember, Spelljammer had a lot of things with the flares and the Neogi and the Nautiloid ships and all that. Now, it has the Radiant Triangle printed out, which is Orth, Kryn, and Toral, and due to the phlogiston, Orth is the main transit point. You can't go from Toral to Kryn. You have to cross into Orth's Crystal Sphere and then back out again to the other world. But yeah, there are all the other... There's Mistara and all these other worlds, and you can go to the Vodani Empire and meet with the... Oh God, I'm blanking on the humanoid hippos' names. The GIF. Uh, this person, this wonderful person who created this map, also put two other spheres, but they are on the far right side of the map. Yeah, it looks like his name is Neric. But okay, it's, but it's N E R I K, which means it's it's a screen name of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could do the research and get the information, possibly. I also found I also found larger size version of the map. Oh, yeah, but Neric was kind enough to put in two other spheres, which ties a lot of all what I've been doing together. One of them is the sphere for Galarian. As I said, there was home brewing. Galarian was made by Paizo. It's the Pathfinder setting. And if you go back to my episode, adding Fringeworthy to Pathfinder, from which my Fringes of Galarian Gen Con campaign was based... And it's off the arcane outer flow. Now, you spell jammers would know what that is. There's also another world that it's sort of away from the arcane outer flow, but there is no phlogiston trail. Shard space, as in Eberron. That's what they decided to name the crystal sphere that that Neric put Eberron in. Now, this is not canon. As I said, this guy made this up. This is probably for his campaign. But it's damn helpful. So, this map, it says, okay, one millimeter is 1,000 million miles, which Bruce checked my math, that's not a trillion, that's a billion. And I did the math. One light year is, and let me look, 5.879 times 10 to the 12th power miles. So, one millimeter on this map will be equivalent to about, oh, 1.7 light years, give or take. And the Radiant Triangle, it's equidistant. It is the same distance from Orth to Kryn as it is Orth to Toral. 
about one centimeter. Oh, great. So basically, so, so it's an equilateral triangle. Yes. Well, except for the distance between crin and toral. Okay, never mind. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, and folds no, 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 there's, freely. There's, there's another name for that one. That I think isosceles. Isosceles triangle, yes. Yeah, folks, I failed high school geometry, college prep, because I can't do proof, so... <laughs> yes, I have failings, yeah. I haven't been dealing with it right lately. I've been helping with quadrant grids. Okay, all right. But yeah, so it is one <laughs> centimeter, so that is... Well, let's see, one millimeter equals... 1.7 light years, so that's 17 light years. Actually, looking at the grid, I actually got 100%. It's each, the grid, each grid square is 2 centimeters. Okay. So it's bigger than that. Okay, but still, do the ma- if you do the math on this... <laughs> yeah. And, and also, I brought up something, I believe, in a previous podcast for either Grey, mm-hmm. Realm, or Grey. And it's a campaign model. You can look it up. It's known as far space. Mm-hmm. Crystal spheres and the phlogiston exist because that's what the majority of reality believes it to be. If you change your belief system, it becomes normal, regular space where there's no crystal sphere, there's no phlogiston. You're flying through space even once you leave the system. Yeah. Now, using the far space campaign model if you don't want to do spell jammer or the d20 version from dark furies publishing aether and flux sailing the traverse if you use the far space campaign version setting model and then just make techno magic starships ooh star jammer from d20 pfsrd publishing is a really good techno magic starship thing to use with this so, 17 light years between in the radiant triangle. That would mean that from gray space, by this map, so times 10, da, 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 Galarian and Eberron from Orth would be, because I messed up the math, that would make it 238 light years. If you were to use that type of math and campaign setting, you it that's why you could explain why Orthcrin and Toral haven't heard of Eberron. It's just way, way off the beaten path, as is Galarian based on this arcane inner flow map by Nerik. N E R I K. J F G I folks, you'll find it. Yeah, and I found where he actually was posting his work in progress on the Cartographers Guild under okay. the name Nerik. Okay. <laughs> So yeah, this map, I found it sun, oh, so about three days before when I was really re-digging into this research. And I thought, oh, this map was extremely helpful. Oh, yes, it was. And so when I did the math, and as I said, I, I even then had to just change the math just now. But still, going back to the various uh, podcasts for Galarian, Gray Space, Crin Space, Realm Space. You could use that map to plot out your star platforms. Because if one centimeter is 17 light years, worlds within three centimeters on that map could be used as your star platforms. 
you could bring in, and obviously you really don't want to have Orth, Kryn, and Toral all on each other's Star Hub platforms because that would trip things up. But you just take all the worlds in one direction from Kryn, one from Orth, one from Toral. You've got your star platforms. And you can do the same with, let's see, Galarian. Let's get some light here because... Etna, Elisparta, Malhavik, Rage Star. Yeah, all of those are within. Let's see, Shard, Maj, Knight, as in... Oh, the Calamar setting. Let's see, for the Radiant Triangle, Morag. And yes, they even put Terra in on a different version of this map because, remember, Elminster, there were several articles in Dragon Magazine about Elminster talking to Ed of the Greenwoods. Figure it out, folks, considering that Elminster is pretty much the Mary Sue of Ed Greenwood, the creator of Forgotten Realms. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they put in a Terra space, and it's a different version of this map, but it, it's somewhere, well, north of Galarian. I am, so it's I'm, near the arcane outer flow. Actually, I found a, a separate map produced by Narek in which he indicates which game system each of the areas are from. So the vast, vast majority of the map is AD&D 2nd Edition. The vast majority. Uh, portions uh, are from um, BECMI D&D, whatever heck that is. BECMI? Uh, yeah, D and D third edition is portions, and that includes where the shard is, the shard space is. Yeah, that's Everon. Yeah, so. Hackmaster, where the known spheres are, that's Hackmaster. <laughs> um, just north of Shard in Golatron is Pathfinder. That's Galarian. Galarian, sorry, it's it's yeah. Texas small. Um, yeah. There's a little, you know where the where the dark space shards are toward the north of the map on the right hand side. Yeah, you see Slayer and Emma Sushi. Yeah, B B E S M M. Big eye, small mouth. Oh no, this is definitely homebrewed. He threw B E. What was that? B E C M I. What was that? B E C M I D and D. I want to say that might be basic expert. Oh. The C and the M, I'm not sure, and then I is Immortals. Oh. The uh, old box sets. Arche- That's all first edition. Archaeus uh, is uh, Talislanta. Okay. Uh, this guy threw all of it together here. He was, he was Fruce- playing around. Forcella and Rune are RuneQuest. Okay. And Ooh. Helios, right underneath the uh, the, bee, the, little, the little beehive there in the upper right-hand corner. Yeah. Space 1889. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, folks, if you can find this map, I mean, you might, you could use this to... I'll have, a li- I'll, have a link, I'll have a link to his website. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, oh, yeah. And this ties up this entire series nicely, this map, mm-hmm. putting it all together. Now, the, the, here's the thing. We always ask, well, what do you get out of putting this setting into Fringeworthy? This is something we ask of everything. 
Besides a, besides, a, besides a headache. Uh. Yeah. I am asked of it. Josie is asked of it when we do Pokemon and Zelda and all. Mm-hmm. Eberron has many special materials that you can use. Various woods, metals, stones, what have you. Uh, let's see. Bronze wood, Bayesh, dense wood, flame-touched iron, live wood, Reedron Crystal, sore wood, and Targath. Now, Reedron Crystal... It is like quartz that is sharpened, and but it's also psionically active. If you are a psi, and remember, psi, I think Dragonlance is the only world that I've seen that psi doesn't work in. Other than that, pretty much across the fringe path, psi is a constant. If you have psi, it'll work there. Now, Reagent Crystal, if you are psionic, the sword becomes tougher and sharper and so yeah, that would be and it would look like a hewn quartz sword. All the other types of woods are used for crafting like the sky galleons. Uh um sore wood is grown in Zalargo, the Gnomish nation. They are also the ones that create sending stones and the gnomes are like the scribes and lawyers and bookkeepers of Corvair. They sell their services to You'll find akin to telegraph stations, a gnome running it. And it's a sending stone, which is basically a technomagic version of the message spell. Yeah. Like a couple gold pieces, you can send a 25-word 25 25 message. Yeah. Almost think, anywhere in Corvair. And, of course, it's made with, in conjunction with, and let's all repeat, House Carnath. Carnath. Yeah. House Carnath. Carnath, yeah. yeah. But also, something else that is brought when you bring any of these campaigns together and put them on a world. Remember, now with this arcane inner flow map by Narek, you could hop on a spell jammer, and if you know where to go and what to do, and you learn the, and you work this out, you can cut massive travel time off the fringe paths. Because remember, I put this at negative 66 prime. That's 66 nodes away from home. 66 times, well, no, if you're traveling from prime to prime, 68 times 50. Yeah. 3,000 mile trip, that's days, if not weeks, depending on your mode of transportation. Or if you like my brother, a a whole day, but you know. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. I'm kidding, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've met Mike. Yeah, don't, don't, don't honk off your brother on the podcast here. Um, but, with all these worlds and how they're magically connected, and yeah, I'm Glary and I'll, I'll retcon and throw that into the series too, the first podcast I did on this now. You could cut serious travel time if you make the right connections, and which is what you want to do when you come to these worlds. You make the connections, you get in good, you form alliances, which, yeah, we're way out here in the fringe paths, but we got this one place on this one world. Folks, I swear to God, it's the Greyhawk game, but it's a world, you know. And, you know, I've been to divers, and, you know, so you form alliances with various people. Like on Realm Space, you, you hook up with the Harpers. And with Crin Space, you're there at, you know, you go to Solace or whatever, and you make these alliances, and either through magic or spell jamming or whatever, you can cut serious amounts of time traversing the paths 
because you have all these worlds magically linked through either spell jamming or the far space. And John, I'll, I'll try to look up the far space campaign model and send that link to you so you can put that in the notes yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Now, one thing, one thought, as we always mention, because these are actual games that people play, and it's quite possible that your characters may be, you know, maybe gamers or may have, you know, yeah, my kid used to play something called Spell, my kid brother used to play something called Spelljammer. It sort of means that companies like Wizards of the, actually Hasbro, which is the owners of Wizards of the Coast, suddenly find themselves approached by uh, Unita and said, uh, we need you to produce much more detailed maps of these areas, if at all possible. <laughs> so there's, they have divisions whose sole purpose is to produce information on, well, these worlds, and maybe it's true, maybe it's not. We don't know until you get there. Well, see, this is something that Josie and I dealt with yeah. we're dealing with because mm -hmm. we made the Pokemon Pathfinder Fringeworthy world yeah. that you guys have gamed in, and now we are also using that world in the Sunday game, which, yeah, folks, you know I'm not fond of mashups, but I've lightened up on that stance. It is Doctor Who and World of Darkness. This is Perky, another one of Perky Goth's babies here. Anyways, we have thrown in the Pokemon world as one of the things that we have gone to now repeatedly. Mm. I mean, we've dealt with Team Plasma, okay? If you know your Pokemon yeah. lore, you know we aren't playing around here. Oh, wow. If you're familiar with the black and white set, take how they are. And crank it up to eleven. Yeah. Yes. But so, the whole, so, the whole so, thing I have to ask Josie you this. So, have you seen Pikachu Detective? Seen it yet? Or uh, the movie? It's, no, no. It's a, it's a game. There's gonna be a movie. Oh wow! Uh, With Ryan Reynolds in it. Ryan yeah. as Pikachu. And probably Danny DeVito as Pikachu. No, as P the voice in the game, at least in the American version, sounds like Danny DeVito. Uh, I don't know, but <sighs> yeah, he so, talks but, like this. But, but anyways, Pikachu. One of, yeah. <laughs> one of that was not good. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We're anyways, tangenting. one of the one of the things that that Josie and I brought up was that. Yeah, on these worlds, like the Pokemon world, yeah, it's kidified. So Josie's character, this little mousy secretary who all of a sudden now realizes my favorite fandom, which first of all, we didn't know she had her fandom, is now real. Fine, we have a SME. Problem is we're finding out this world is not quite exactly the way it is because the creator of Pokemon, back on our character's Earth, obviously kidified it to sell it. So we're coming to, oh, oh, cute, it's a little Charmander. That's not Charmander, that's a damn red dragon, you know. So the when John's idea of going to various game companies and saying, okay, we found a world that matches your, your property. No, you cannot travel there and sue them. We need information start <clears throat> urinating us a large body of water. Let's we'll put it and, that way. And to be honest, and then hit all the fanfic sites because they probably are more accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but... hit all of the fanfics in life. Fanfic, yeah. not so much. Yeah, but well, you have 
and then you're still going to find out that it's wrong because you would have to actually go to the creator and it's like, okay. Yeah, so you'll be bringing like Ed Greenwood back and Keith Baker and well, unfortunately, Greyhawk, we really can't. Both their creators are past. Yeah. Tracy Hickman's still working in the industry. Margaret Weiss, who I'm actually friends with on Facebook, you know, peripherally, yep. is, and her words, retired from the gaming industry. But you would be bringing them back going, okay, we need Data, lots of data. Yeah, yeah. Do you have your notes handy? Yeah, Uh, you're 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 about to get a fat paycheck if you help us out. Yeah. The guy Gax guy guy Gax's son would say, "So you need my dad's gaming notes?" Yeah, and and even better, you can show them proof that this thing actually exists. Yeah, because, Joseph, we want to bring... Oh, the Greyhawk world exists. Yeah, here's the hand of Vecna. Get that thing away from me! Yeah. It's just a dead hand. Going back to the Pokemon thing. Showing the people at, at Game Freak a Pikachu. Yeah. Oh, that Pokeball. Oh, it's cute. That's from Burger King. Why did that red dragon just come out of that Pokeball? Yeah. Oh, I, crap, that's a real Pokeball. That's a real Charmander. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's hungry. What are you going to feed yeah, it? Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, no, we have a running joke that when Josie's character finally captures a red dragon, she's just going to do a dragon grenade. We're going to have this horrible monster run out the door. Josie's character, Joey Duran's just going to be like, I got this throw a Pokeball in there, opening up and slam the door. What'd you do? Remember that Charmander I captured? You're evil. <laughs> is it evolved or is it still like the you know, base level? Well, no, still it's just the fact that basically we, <laughs> we call the tactic Dragon Grenade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we can't do Dragon types any other way and that's like my favorite type Yeah, 18. Yeah. But but that's just our running joke that we're going to do down the line when, mm-hmm. like, oh, God, it's horrible, horrible. And Joseph Carrot just holds up a finger. I've got this. So, Open, flip, throw, slam. So I take it you're, you're going between different different worlds that have magic because as soon as you go someplace, 18 hours later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I don't even want to think what happens to the poor thing inside the Pokeball. Well, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Those are not actually magical in nature. Yeah, remember we we said mm. Pokeballs were just extremely advanced technology with EM conversion. Right. Okay, so, yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I remember as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, with this final episode of this little mini-series I did of adding Fringeworthy to various fantasy worlds, and yes, Galarian can be retconned to be the actual first one, but the D&D ones are the ones that wrapped it up. Going to these worlds, and as I said, again, besides the geek factor, with Eberron, besides the various materials such as Bronzewood and Bayashk and Sorewood, massive new ways to create magic items for Bureau 13. If you take these artificing and, and dragon shard prospecting, oh, that's a massive business on Eberron. You've got House Thrashk, the humans and half-elves of the Shadow Marches. Their mark of finding, that's what they do. Besides being bounty hunters and inquisitives, they're also prospectors. 
because you have your your mark of finding. Oh look, oh, locate object. Slap the chest. The dragon mark fires up. Oh look, yeah, there's a whole cache of uh, Kyber ones in that cavern down there. You sit there and have like elementally bound weapons for Bureau Thirteen. And also, besides the Artificer class, which the Eberron Pathfinder set uh, page redid wonderfully because you don't expect you don't lose experience points in Pathfinder, so they had to get rid of the um, craft points feature. So they redid the Artificer class. There's also like a minor NPC class called the Mage Rite. You just sit there and interview Mage Rites and. Yeah, that'll totally change everything that Project Magnus. That's what it is. The Magical R&D Division of Bureau 13. Project Magnus would probably love to talk to Mage Rites and Artificers. Because they're like, wait a minute, you you make magic items how often? Considering continual light spells and sconces are streetlights in Eberron? That's how pervasive... The technology oh. is. Oh yeah, uh, House Kenneth uh, Everlights. Yeah, Everlights. They're basically you. They're like gas lights would have been in the real world. Remember, this Eberron is considered an arcane punk version of like just after World War One, yeah. so late teens, early twenties. Well, I never understood any D and D world where you had a city and you weren't using continual light spells to light up the, you know, the the urban area. It never yeah, made you sense not to. About that. Yeah. yeah, you kind of wonder about that, and just Keith Baker nailed it with this one. And I think that's one of the many things that attracted me to this setting. Why I just love it so much, and I would love to run another Eberron-based campaign because he he made it where you had the beginnings of Technomat. You still had your fantasy worlds where. You know, your fantasy areas were like, oh, yeah, it's a small farming village, and you go to the dungeon, la-da-da. And then you've got these massive cities like the Readron cities with all the crystal and Psytech and Sharn with 200,000 people. And there, there's a moving city, which I want to say it's Arnath, and it just, it, it's like um, Zodanga and John Carter. It just, it isn't tearing up the landscape behind it. But it floats along, and it's this massive stone thing that scoots along the landscape, and it's a moving city. And so just the massive amounts of magical technology in this game and integrating into the society was one of the things I loved about this setting. And so I just extrapolated on it like I did, and I made the space chasing. Again, Eberron kind of meets Farscape. You're kidnapped from the Forgotten Realms and Greyhawk and Kryn. Oh, wow. And dragged to Eberron, and then you get stranded there. So, uh, Floating City sounds a bit like Laputa from Castle in the Sky, uh, what, a, the, a, a Ghibli movie. Yeah, it was an <clears throat> anime movie. Basically, it was a floating city, and it was hidden behind a great wall, a great storm, and no one could get to it until they finally found a way in. And yeah, but anyway, it's a Ghibli movie. Go watch it. All Ghibli movies are good. Miyazaki. <laughs> <clears throat> and so, as I said, with new magic artificing techniques, new materials, the various types of wood and metal and the reagent crystal, which will help psionic characters in Bureau 13 and in Fringeworthy. And just also easy transport across the Fringeverse, because if you know these various worlds and how they're laid out and how to get in between them, 
you know, either your team mage, if he's got the high enough, you know, power to do plane shift, because all of these crystal spheres, it floating in the phlogiston, they're all separate prime material planes within the plane of phlogiston. You could plane shift from one world to another and cut weeks off travel, depending on where you put all these D&D worlds. So it's really good shortcuts. And the best way to play a game is know the rules. A that, tenant that you use here in the role-playing industry and hobby. Yeah, I mean, you or you hook up, hook up which house is it again that has... A uh, greater uh, teleport. teleport? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah one has the mark the of moving, I think. Or mark of passage. Mark of passage. That's it. The mark of passage, and that is House or Orion. Yeah, House Orion. Oh, yeah, they would be... And the different marks, they get uh, Dimension Leap once per day. Dimension Door once per day. Uh, they get Teleport once per day with the greater... And greater Teleport for Cyberus marks. Well, yeah, that's teleportation, but there's nothing that I know of as far as planar. Uh, oh, let's see, what else? Um, let did... me let the houses real quick, because there's something else I want to bring up here as far as the houses. Mm -hmm. Argonth, that's the name of the mobile fortress. Anyways, the various houses have other things that um, that could be brought back. As I said, Kenneth, obviously, crafting thing. Mundane and magic. Denith, the mark of the sentinel. Um, mercenary forces. They sell soldiers everywhere, so fighting techniques. House Galandra. Galanda, run by halflings. Um, food and shelter. Basically, if you hook up with them, you know you're going to get rest and food. House Jurasco. I know. Other we're talking. We're talking, uh, we're talking a house with the mark of hospitality and their hobbits. You're getting the best food. Yes. Now, it's not going to be hot, hot, hot cuisine, but it will be really good down-home cooking that, yeah. that makes, your, makes, makes your grandmother cry. Yeah. House Jurasco, medical techniques. Mundane and magical. They have the mark of healings. Uh, House Kondarik, that is the dwarven one. They are the bankers and the, the safeguarders of property. They do everything from store stuff in vaults to give out loans because they live up in the Maror Holds and gold and gems is what they do. Uh, House Lyrander, again, half-elves, mark of storm, air elementals, transport. House Medani, the mark of detection. Um, abilities to detect threats to foresee dangers and establish a base of power related to knowledge. Intelligence gathering. House Orion, mark of passage. Transport. House Fyarlan, uh, elves of Aranol, mark of shadow. Well, the mark of death, they got rid of that 2,600 years ago. Um, Supposedly. Divinatory and illusory powers. Espionage. House Civis. The Gnomes. Um, mark of Scribing. Information-based things. Information storage and sending. That's where you get the sending stones from. House Thrash. These. This is the mark of finding. The prospectors and quizzers and bounty hunters. You want them dragon shards, you go to House Thrash. You get yourself a half-work with the mark of finding on it. Yeah, it's over there. Mark Th House Therani. Um, mark of Shadow. Espionage. Uh, and House Vidalis, they are the ones that have the mark of handling. They calm and control animals. Hi, they're in the beginnings of eugenics because they also do animal breeding. They do mage breeding. Yes. So mage bred animals. It sounds like oh, you need a you need a faster uh, griffin. We'll just breed this griffin yeah, with this hawk. Exactly. <laughs> but but Josie would get this knowing about Pokemon training. 
you breed animals to make them better. Yep. That is the concept of eugenics. And, <laughs> and they can do it faster because they because if they have the. Gr- I'm just gonna go with. We do that in the games as it is. Yes. But I mean, that's what House Vidalis does. And yes, they, they calm and control animals. They also work with animal breeding, and so yeah, now, all of these things can be taken back to Earth Prime and even the Bureau Thirteen world because all of these things are needed in one way or another. Well, I'm looking at one the, the greater mark of handling uh, has animal growth. Does that mean the animal just gets bigger, or the animal ages faster? No, it gets bigger. Basically, if it's oh. a medium animal, you turn to a large animal temporarily. Ah, okay. But it sounds like they, they're quite capable of t- doing something like, oh, yeah, dogs, we don't use dogs. We have a, we have the house lions. Okay, here's something that I did in that Space Chase campaign, because, after all, magic permeates this world. These dragon marks are mutations. Let's just... A rose by any other name, folks. If you have, if you get genetic samples and take them back to Earth Prime or even Bureau 13 world. Oh, oh, God, you get Robertson a hold of this for genetics. Holy smokes. Well, they wouldn't do much good on Earth Prime because basically there's no magic. Right, yeah, but still, they would just be a very weird looking birthmark. Yeah, Robert yeah, yeah. Robertson right isn't much into genetics, uh, crap. No, no. But there probably are divisions in, in the Bureau. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bureau has genetic manipulation down. Remember, we we clocked them at PL7. Well, we know they can do it. It doesn't mean they do do it. Yeah, oh, yeah, but I, yeah. I mean they don't clone they don't clone agents just just keep a just keep a blank on on on, on ice just in case. So yeah. suddenly they you know they may have better healing. Now um, now what we know is that they have smart they had smart horses and yeah. if that's true they probably have smart dogs. Yep. Yes. So, oh, and so House Vidalis would be perfect for as I said animal eugenics. That's what House Vidalis does. Now if I remember correctly, reading about about marks. If a dragon mark were to were to have kids with someone who isn't dragon marked, there's a chance their their offspring will could be dragon marked. Well, yeah, no, no. Remember the house Kenneth people yeah. they'll marry and there is a chance that your kid might have a dragon mark if you are dragon marked. And also remember there were many dalliances with various dragon mark nobles and they mm. would have mistresses and concubines and whatnot. And all of a sudden your kid yeah, I mean it's like you're trying to tell people, Yes, I slept with Lord whatever De Kenneth and they're like, Yeah, right and all of a sudden your son, you know, your five year old son manifests the mark of making. Uh, first of all first First of all, the woman goes nanner nanner boo boo. Second of all, she goes back and says, "Got gotcha your kid." Yeah, <laughs> no. and, and 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 the woman looks at the guy and says, "And my room in your mansion is where?" Yeah, so it sounds like it's a genetic trait. It sounds like they're, they're a bit fluid in in their marital relations in the in these houses. Oh no, there is a, uh, and the reason that I say this is genetics also, there is a concept of getting, and I'll I'll wrap this up real quick. There is a concept, it's kind of like excommunication out of a church, it's called excoriation. If you screw up bad enough, you can get kicked out of your house. Now back in the old days of Eberron, excoriation was literal. They cut the dragon mark out of your skin. Obviously, it grows back. But they're not quite that mean anymore, so you're walking around with a dragon mark, but you've lost the favor of your house because you screwed up. And it could be your father did something and you're suffering, you know, the sin- the son suffering for the sins of the father. So there is that. There are dragon mark people who have lost their station, 
their wealth. Um, there's a feat called favored in-house, and it's now a dead feat because you screwed up. So you're having to live among the common people. If you're dra- if you're in the dragon marked house, even if you don't have a mark, if you're part of that house, you have access to money. So as, as, as I said, you could mess around with the concept of trying to pass this genetic trait if you have the technology in the game where it's like, yeah, genetic manipulation, yeah, we got this sample. Oh, you're human. Well, we could give you the mark oh, the mark of making. Well, you could if you really wanted to go that far. So there is that. It would certainly expand on how magic can affect genetics, which would also be useful information to bring back to Earth Prime because it would just give information on genetics in particular. Between the dragon marks and animal eugenics from House uh, Vidalis. What, 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 yes. what it sounds like they can probably do genetic engineering that most people look at and say, no, you can't do that. We did. Oh, but they're completely different species. I mean, we're not even talking not even on the same tree. And you just bred them together? Yep. I want that DNA. <laughs> yeah. Again, as I said, there's a lot of scientific and technical... For a world that is equivalent to the 1920s, maybe... There's a lot of scientific and technical information that would be brought back from this world and bring it back to either Bureau 13, Earth, or Earth Prime. And the thing is, House Fidel- House the people from House Fidelis would go, what's DNA? Because they wouldn't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. They just know they can, you know, they, they can take a horse and breed it with a lion. Yeah. And- I, I'm, looking at pic- I'm looking at a picture of three, of three, of three members of House Fidelis on their war bears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think I've made my point abundantly clear. You've seen the fervor and joy that I've had doing this one. Folks, I've been waiting to do this particular subject for a couple of years. And, you know, it, it, it's the fanning of the shirt now that I'm done. I was like, oh, yeah, that was wonderful. So, yes, this wraps up my little mini-series on adding Fringeworthy to various role-playing, which you can lump the Galarian episode in with this, too. It's just this and the previous three episodes, well, tapings, because these are going to be split up. This is probably going to end up being like a 10 to 12 episode series altogether. Um, had to do with TSR, Wizards of the Coast properties. But the Galarian could be put into this series as well, especially with the arcane inner flow map that Narek was so kind to make and we have found. Again, it will be in the liner notes for these episodes. You can go, you know, Google Groups, Yahoo groups, fans of the Tech Podcast, Fringeworthy RPG fans, iTunes, if you get it from there, and, you know, I keep saying, feedback, feedback, feedback. We love hearing from you guys, you throwing your ideas back at us, calling us on our BS if we mess up, and yeah, we make mistakes. I mentioned it with the math earlier. Call us on our stuff. They did it with me and Josie on the population for Pokemon Earth. John is our, our forum eye in the sky, so he lets me know, okay, Trav, we got a reply on this, and let Pixie know. So yes, all of those aforementioned sources. Of course, also from the Podbean site that you'll be getting this from. I had a lot of fun doing this miniseries. I truly did. It helped. I had to blow some dust off some books for this. Folks, I, I want to thank you for putting up with my somewhat ecstatic fervor doing this. So la- this, this was all labor of love. And of course... The three of you guys, thanks for being patient with me on this. And we will have more for you all next week. But until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming.
It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.